0: This podcast is a Royfield brown production. Find others on iTunes.
3: All right.
1: Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem.
4: Let's get Brexit done. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country.
5: Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Roy Phil Brown, who's in a grey, dank, wet bay area. Today we are joined by writer and journal Mick Wright, the editor of the Conquest of the Use- Useless, the immediate criticism newsletter. He's in Norwich in the UK. Uh, we have Clint Losey, ex capitol Hill staffer in Washington. Eric Marcus of the Making Gay History podcast in New York. Political pundit and heavyweight Doug Levy in San Francisco. We have Steve O'Neill, the ex-deputy head of policy for the Liberal Democrats in London. We have Arthur and Sage, an all-round superhero guy, Jared Kobach in Los Angeles. And we are joined, first time, she's a virgin to the show, we have Marseille Butler of the Esoteric uh, Negro in Los Angeles. In a week that he's seen the world gripped because of the Snyder Cut, we are going to look at corruption in politics i heard that little little guffaw there mr kobeck we're going to look at politics in new york california london and canada last week we talked about Meghan markle and prince harry and basically the fallout on their revelations of racism aimed at the royal family we received our biggest ever mailbag And of which there was one specific uh, email from a listener, Rachel, that um, I believe you have, Laura, uh, that you're going to read out for us.
6: Dear Royfield, I've enjoyed listening to some of your podcasts myself, having a similarly cross-Atlantic existence. However, I felt moved to write to you to express some critique of your latest podcast on the big Harry and Meghan interview. I am a mixed-race British woman and have always been moderately pro-royal. Admittedly, due to the past colonial conditioning, older generations do still tend to respect the monarchy, as well as being due to the generally positive evolved relationship that now seems to exist between the monarch and the Commonwealth. As I got older, I began changing my mind about their relevance and perfection, and I'm afraid I feel the same way about Meghan Markle. Being mixed race myself, I was, of course, excited about the impact she might go on to have. But what has barely been discussed is the fact that she stuck out the role for less than two years. Totally different than Diana, who was in the role for years and made sure she used it to carry out positive goals. Not once in your podcast did I hear any kind of balanced criticism of Meghan's own motives for marrying into the royal family as a so-called feminist and advocate. Just because Meghan is of mixed race does not mean she is beyond scrutiny. Thanks for reading if you found the time. Kind regards, Rachel.
5: Rachel, uh, thank you for your email. And I thought point was utterly fair. We didn't exactly um, question anything that Meghan Markle said. Uh, so that was utterly a fair and, and reasonable comment to make. Jared, I know that you weren't on last week's show. Quickly, sir, you have uh, approximately 180 seconds. Go for it.
1: Sure. Do I believe that the greater critique of racism in the royal family and the British media that has emerged from that interview is true? Absolutely. But it's a really strange story because one of the things that comes out in the interview is that seemingly Meghan Markle and Prince Harry don't really know that much about the English monarchy. I think you're the one who said it to me, that it seems like the rules of the monarchy would have meant that their child wouldn't have actually been a prince. And it's really strange because I think it's really what it's a story about is two people who got themselves into a situation that seemingly they knew very little about. In her case, it makes a lot of sense. She says it. She says she didn't even Google him or the monarchy or anything. With him, it's weirder uh, that he has no idea about this institution that he's part of. But that seems to be the case.
5: Specifically to do with any kind of titles for, for Archie, yeah, there are very clear rules. And at the moment, Archie and um, his cousins uh, from from other royals who are not uh, directly the heir or the heir apparent don't get automatic titles. So that isn't racism. That's just kind of the rules. And you're completely right. You'd think that Harry would maybe know that. But uh, we don't spend too much time on that. That's it. It's done. Uh, thank you for the email, uh, Rachel. What you can do is send an email to me at royfield at gmail.com or simply go on to midatlanticshow.com and hit contact us.
7: London police clamp down on protesters rallying against a new bill on Monday that critics say would give officers too much power to crush peaceful protest. Bill, no, bill! demonstrators convened on British Parliament as lawmakers debated. They blocked traffic on nearby Westminster Bridge before marching on to police headquarters and British Prime Minister Boris Johnson's office. Monday's protests come on the heels of days of demonstrations over the kidnapping and murder of 33-year-old Sarah Everard, which has sparked global outrage over the failure to protect women's safety. A police officer, 48-year-old Wayne Cousins, has been charged with Everard's murder. Police broke up a vigil planned for Everard on Saturday, saying it breached lockdown rules and dragged away several mourners in what was widely seen as excessive force. (laughs) Under Monday's proposed bill, police would be able to impose a start and end time for demonstrations, set a noise limit, and shut down protests that have a quote, relevant impact on persons in the vicinity
5: what is the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill and how will it change protests? The UK has been wracked by the Sarah Everard case and the fallout of the police specifically to do now with the vigil which was held in Clapham. So, Steve, I'm going to come over to you. What exactly happened at that vigil and why should we be worried about this new bill?
8: So, the vigil, as you said, was to remember Sarah Everard and... From the reports that I read, it went largely, peacefully, largely was a calm vigil for a sombre affair. It seems like toward the end of the the vigil, things turned uh, nasty. I think what seems to have happened is some speeches were made um, by some attendees of the vigil. It became a little bit more political. And at that point, police uh, stepped in uh, and pictures emerged of them resting quite forcefully a few women as quite a Um, you could call it a graphic video of a woman being shoved to the ground. Um, On the back of that, the police have been criticised very widely and it's actually united the whole political spectrum. Um, uh, So all politicians, of all sides, have criticised the police on this. It seems they mishandled it quite badly. Although, of course, we only have limited information, so we are going what we assume. This bill, so bills in the UK, like I imagine our colleagues across the pond, are sort of amalgamation of lots of things. So this police crime, sentencing and courts bill covers all kinds of things. The thing that's become really controversial and it's linked to the protest, um, so like the vigil, not protest, I slipped there, um, is changes around police powers on protests. Um, what seems to be the case is that the kind of police bodies and the main one the UK is called Police Federation, wanted more power to deal with things that looked like the Extinction Rebellion protests um, that we've seen over the last sort of few months and years. And in particular, protests where they're sitting still, standing still, or one-person protests where one person is sort of standing around with a big sign. So there was a Mr. Brexit He was doing the outside Parliament, sort of quite humorously, um, for months and months. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, wanted more power to deal with. Am I going on too long?
5: You are really yeah. fantastic detail. However, um, uh, Mick. Give us a sense of how this has really united the British political spectrum. And do you think, um, because there's been this kind of unanimity of revulsion, the way that police handled that vigil in Clapham, that maybe some of the aspects of the bill, which have been discussed this week in Parliament, might well be changed?
9: Uh, No, because it was nodded through even by... Conservative MPs who spend the rest of the time crowing on about how having to wear a mask is a suppression of civil liberties. And the thing to say about this bill, uh, which Steve touched on slightly, is um, it's what you would describe as an omnibus bill. So it it, it does it does smash together a lot of different issues in a in a a vast bill. And uh, this bill is also part of the Conservative Party's um, basically manifesto commitment to um, harass significantly harass the Gypsy, Romani and Traveller community and make it very hard uh, for, for, for people from those communities to set up camps practically anywhere. And in terms of protest, it will also massively increase the powers of the Home Secretary to pretty much arbitrarily decide that uh, a, a certain protest or certain protests are a nuisance. Um, and also, you know, which as usual when drafting law, Um, uh, You know, they have they've drafted it, drafted the the proposed laws in the most broad sense possible to give them the broadest amount of latitude. Um, It's a really dangerous uh, potential suppression of civil liberties. And our parliament has failed entirely to effectively scrutinize it. And the media is framing the Labour Party's late opposition to it as essentially, you know, them being on the side of uh, paedophiles and rapists. So as usual, the debate in the UK on this cursed island is is, is pretty pathetic. But this bill is, is very, very dangerous in terms of civil liberties
5: present the the police need to prove that protesters need to know they've been told to move on Um, and this new law includes an offense of intentionally or recklessly causing public nuisance and this could be uh, you know stopping people stopping the traffic occupying public spaces hanging off bridges or employing other protest tactics to make themselves seen and heard and I think you, you've you've completely put your finger on it, Mick. That there's a certain level of ambiguity of language, you know, intentionally or recklessly causing a public nuisance. That is definitely in the eye or in the ear of the beholder, isn't it, Steve?
8: Yeah, I think I think it is. And what I was going to go on to say is, I think with these broad powers, the issue is partly about the powers, but it's also partly about the trust of those wielding them. And I think we've seen different examples of where the police have handled uh, these kind of events well. I'm thinking back to the issue around the Edward Colson statue in Bristol, where they handle things, they allow things to happen and major people are safe, um, and we they handle things badly, like the vigil the other day. Um, and I think what's called this bill into question, and probably the reason Labour have um, been forced to move from abstaining on it to voting against it, is that there's definitely a change in mood around whether people trust the police or not, and if you give them broad powers, people are going to be worried they don't think you can trust them.
5: Obviously, uh, in... The United States, uh, the free freedom of speech is the, the First Amendment in the Constitution. From from an American perspective, um, I know specifically when when Trump came to power, various states did uh, specifically kind of southern states did have uh, try and bring in stronger laws around protest and the majority of them, the ACLU and and democratic supporters and civil rights advocates on the ground, most of these bills didn't actually pass. Um, but could somebody, and just if you're an American, speak to generally what the laws are. I know they're kind of state specific around protest in, in the United States. What is acceptable and what is not?
4: The issue is that there have been quite a few state legislatures that have passed or attempted to pass bills that would make calling a police officer names or um heck there's even laws on the books that that say if you say bad things about certain products that you could get sued or potentially even arrested um these are completely contrary to the whole concept of free speech And um, these newer laws, for the most part, have not been tested, but it's kind of alarming to those of us who respect the laws that we have legislatures that are actually passing bills or even considering bills that would prohibit certain kinds of speech.
5: And in the States, these are really back-the-badge bills, aren't they? Um, Specifically, Oklahoma, a couple of years ago, tried to have a... Well, it was actually passed, this one. It was a law that punishes protesters who willfully trespass on critical infrastructure. Uh, One of the criticisms of this new bill uh, in the UK seems to be that this is all about uh, protect, Not all about, but in part about protecting statues over protesters uh mick i'm gonna give you the last word on this uh, wh- where do you stand on that is this is more about the forces of conservatism wider conservatism um worried about colston statue mark two being toppled or daubed or maybe even just climbed upon as opposed to people's legitimate right to protest
9: um I think it's I think it's about a government with a a government and and particularly a Home Secretary with a very authoritarian streak. And I know I mentioned it in my previous answer, but I I will say I will reiterate this again that this is a bill that has large swathes of it uh, dedicated to particularly targeting a, a minority group. Right, and and there's not enough coverage of that in the press. Yes, the statue stuff is ridiculous, right? And the potential that you could face ten years in prison for vandalising a statue is ludicrous. But the the provisions and the and and the attempts to make life harder for gypsies, Romanese travellers, is appalling, and it, it, it is reminiscent of the kind of thing um, that happens under Orban in in Hungary and Erdogan in Turkey. It is it's really appalling move. And, you know, it's it's worth remembering that Gypsies, Romanies and Travellers were among the groups that were targeted during the Holocaust. Not that I'm making comparison with the government government on that means, but they are a minority that rarely that the, their history of oppression is rarely talked about. So the statue stuff, right, that cultural stuff is appalling, certainly. But like, let's let's remember the parts of this, this bill that are not not even being mentioned as it is waved through in Parliament.
5: Thank you for reminding us.
1: I just wonder, is this bill not the natural consequence of Brexit in the sense that Brexit was presented as this way of freeing the UK from the tyranny of EU regulation? Is this not the first manifestation of what happens when you leave the EU's oversight and you are in a country that has no written constitution and has a really authoritarian government. Isn't this why they really wanted Brexit? I'm going to say no is
5: is a simple answer, but I'll let give you a more definitive answer. One thing which I have read about this, uh, one thing I have read, about this bill in particular though is that is it by coincidence that the government are bringing it now as we leave the eu not because legally they couldn't do it beforehand because i don't believe there's any legal reason that they couldn't have done so beforehand but uh, because they anticipate a wave of brexit protests with uh, aggrieved sections of the of the economy when they when brexit really bites with fishermen farmers etc um and there could be mass wave protests uh but mick utterly the last word on this we're going to move then we're going to move on to canada
9: Uh yeah they could have done it before they could have done it before but i thought so yeah um, I, and i think that the the thing is you've got look back to the look back to the 80s and early 90s stuff around you know the poll tax riots stuff like that uh you know brixton riots there the the, the 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 when the tory party with the conservative party were in power. Um, authoritarian use of policing powers is pretty common that said though the blair government um, pushed through a lot of restrictions on protests so we've had decades and decades of this from both major colors of political party in the uk so i, I i'm not surprised and i don't think it was brexit orientated really
5: uh, all right we're going to move on to To Canada, just very, very briefly. Uh, Laura Babcock, for shame, for shame. At the start, everybody was lauding Canada with its response to COVID nineteen. Your Prime Minister not only seemed was not only handsome but seemed incredibly dynamic. Here we are. Uh, it's March twenty twenty one. Canada's rollout with with the vaccine has seemed to be somewhat slow, if not bordering on disastrous. And Doug Ford is praising President Biden for saying that he will send free gratis because your your friends to the South are good neighbours. Over a million and odd shipments of AstraZeneca vaccines to you. For shame, what has happened?
6: Well, it is because Trudeau came out of the gate with a lot of programmes. We're all in this together, a lot of financial support programmes and in many ways handled a lot of that well. And also secured more doses per capita than I think anybody else in the world. And that's where a lot of that lauding was coming from. And then, of course, you know, it's nice all on paper until it comes to actually receiving the vaccines and getting them into execution. And provincially, you know, uh, the premier today, of course, who's very much like Trumpian, if people don't know him, he's got the same sort of populist delivery And so, you know, he said, God bless America, and I'm sure that'll get lots of headlines. But he hasn't been doing a particularly good job as a premier on this either. You know, the very portal to even register for vaccines was weeks late. There's been all kinds of problems problems here in terms of the premier's management of the issues so it's you know it's it's convenient for him to praise biden profusely and critique trudeau but i would have to argue that uh, trudeau has not done well on securing them and, and having a predictable schedule to get them to the provinces and the premier has done a worse job here in this most populous province than certainly other provinces have done we can give him a little bit of credit because it's a big province but really canada is like you know 45th in the world, or something, and Ontario is behind other provinces. So, you know, neither of them are doing particularly well, but thank you to Joe for sending us some vaccines. Anything to speed it up here is appreciated.
0: Now, to the mounting accusations against New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, once praised for his pandemic response, now facing a seventh accuser and growing calls for him to step down. Cuomo's staying close to the governor's mansion and saying he will not resign. Tonight, with the investigation into alleged misconduct moving forward, New York's Andrew Cuomo hunkered down in the governor's mansion, bleeding
9: support from fellow Democrats calling for his resignation. But Cuomo is unwavering,
3: denying all allegations of sexual misconduct. I never harassed anyone. I never abused anyone. I never assaulted anyone.
5: Everyone who follows New York politics has an opinion on Andrew Cuomo. A year ago, he was the hero of the Democratic Party with his response to COVID. But now there is a scandal that surrounds him. Eric Marcus, you're you're in New York, you're hunkered down, you know Cuomo, you knew his father, give us the skinny on the New York governor.
10: Um yes, I'm from not not only from New York, I'm from Queens, which is where the Cuomos are from. Um, and my memory of the Cuomos goes way back. His father uh, was a governor who was well known for his or uh, his speaking skills. He was brilliant. Um but we forget that he built more prisons than schools during his time uh, as as governor. um, And there were a lot of things to criticize about him. And his son uh, was rumored, and I believe this to be true, that when his father was running against Ed Koch for governor, Ed Koch, who was a famously closeted mayor, um, at least famously closeted among those of us who knew he was gay, um, there were posters that appeared all over the city uh, with a slogan, vote for Cuomo, not the the homo. Um, And Andrew was his father's um, enforcer and fixer. So it's believed that he was behind that that effort. It's no secret to anyone who knew anyone who worked for Cuomo that uh, he is famously a bully, that he runs a toxic uh, um, office, um, and and that he lives by the kinds of standards that I knew growing up in Queens. I worked for the borough president of Queens right out of graduate school in 1984, and I can tell you the, the young women who worked there were, for the most part, all in high heels and short dresses and were treated like uh, trophies, um, at least the ones who looked like that. It was a shocking step back in time for me because I had left Queens to go to college um, and then graduate school and nothing had changed. And that's the world in which Cuomo grew up. So um, th- these stories about I- I'm not at all surprised about about how he's treated women um, and the stories about his his uh, bullying. Um, it's it's also you know, it's um, uh, it, maybe it's an exaggeration to call him the blue Trump, but he has ruled by um, by terror. Uh,
5: does the case of Cuomo reflect the greater accountability that the demar- that we have with our public figures, whether allegations of sexual or racial misconduct? And does this really put in kind of sharp focus kind of an earlier time where? Politicians would fall on their sword when there was any kind of allegation of of this uh, going to strike the throne, thrown their way. Um, We live in a time where politicians are much less likely to resign in the face of anything now. Um, Clint Losey, what can the Democratic Party do with its recalcitrant, scandal ridden governor of New York?
11: Uh, I think Cuomo seems to be powerful enough that he's going to make it through this so I'm not sure it matters what they do. Um, he might be much diminished um, and and you know might make might not make it to the the fourth term he wants but you know I kind of kind of going back to uh, Senator Al Franken who was forced to resign in um, in a scandal a very similar scandal that he had. Uh, done done inappropriate things with women. Um, this was not while he was a senator. This was long before he was a senator, and he faced enormous pressure to resign, um, and did so. And I think many Democrats who are coming um, on the heels of that are looking at that lesson and saying that there was there was no profit in that, um, and, and so they they think they can stick it out. And I think uh, if you look at the Ralph North, Northam example. Uh, he was the governor of Virginia. He uh, was accused of having um, uh, done blackface uh, in uh, during medical school. It showed up in uh, in, a, in Khalid, a yearbook. We don't know was him, and know he did and he made it through. So I think if you're if you're Cuomo um, and you're looking at the Al Franken example and you're looking at the the Ralph Northam example, I think you're looking at uh, you just need to kind of stick it out, hunker down, and and
10: you'll make it through okay. But but one big difference here is that Cuomo doesn't have friends. He's made enemies every step of the way. And you've noticed that people have not rallied to his side. And also part of the, the scandal now is that he covered up deaths. He covered up the number of, of elderly people who died in nursing homes. So there's a lot running against him. It's his, it's his toxic work environment. It's his abuse of women. And, um, um, and it's also the cover-up. So um, I, I, I'm guessing he's going to try to survive, but I'm not sure he can, especially if he doesn't have the, uh, states, the, the senators from New York or even the president on his side.
11: I would defer to to your your firsthand knowledge of this, Eric, but it does seem to me, just kind of in what I've seen, that he might be powerful enough, um, even without you know friends, uh, to survive. And you know he might still have a friend in Joe Biden who hasn't really come out hard against him the way um, other senior Democrats like uh, Chuck Schumer. Uh, have. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I really doubt that um, Biden could withstand that, particularly if the investigations that are going on, you know, turn up some pretty hard evidence. But I mean, yeah. Cuomo just does seem that powerful.
10: Yeah, I mean, he may survive. Um, I, I hope he's badly damaged and I hope he doesn't run again. He's, he's a nasty piece of work and, and we don't need him in the Democratic Party or in office.
5: Marseille, what, one of the things that the Democratic Party um, struggles with, is when accusations of this ilk are thrown at it, because it is the progressive party, isn't it? So it actually needs to hold its leaders to a much higher standard than even the Republican Party.
12: Uh, I would say so. But also there is a branch of the Democratic Party where uh, younger progressives are kind of shifting towards demanding that we get these folks out of power because uh, they, they seem to be, not, uh, they don't really share. I feel like a lot of my politics, especially. Um, so I think there is like a changing of the guard in a sense and, um, holding people accountable. That's been happening, obviously cultural for the last few years. So people like Cuomo and, uh, people that have been kind of getting away for the, with this behavior for a long time are not really what we want to see going forward, especially, um, if, while I think each party is kind of going through a sense of or a sort of rebranding, and or an evolution, I guess is a better word.
5: Mm. Uh, Doug, the golden state, the, the, the governor there, uh, Gavin Newsom, could be recalled. Give us the, the backstory to what's been happening in Sacramento.
4: Well, part of it is that California's got a rather wacky constitution that gives voters a lot of power, which is generally a good thing. But as the world has evolved, it's made it very easy for ballot propositions and recalls to get on the ballot and go up for a vote, despite you know whether there's good reason for it or not. Newsom has been a target of the Republicans for years. And what's happened here is that a few people in the Golden State who hated him because of whatever, began collecting signatures for a recall. It happens against every politician every year. So that part was not surprising. But what happened here that's different is that Republicans from all across the country decided, oh, This is a really good thing. We could take out this person who is a rising star of the Democratic Party. So you had tons of money from other states pouring in to support this recall effort, which is how they've managed to collect enough signatures. It is somewhat likely to get on the ballot. We'll know soon. And that's a tough problem for Newsom, especially because even though he did a lot of things with coronavirus very well. He made a few stumbles. Most notably, he pissed off a lot of folks on his side by going to a fancy restaurant.
5: And, and eating go. indoors without a mask on. Uh, Jared, you you kind of know of, of Gavin Newsom. Um, a lot of people in California have been upset with how strongly the state has been locked down. There almost seems to be... An almost indecent haste now to to reopen, uh, but give us the sense of some of Californians' frustrations with its Democratic governor.
1: Well, I fully agree that this is a manifestation, in part, of external Republican money. But if this, if they actually did acquire the signatures that will allow this to get on to to, to allow a recall election to happen. I think that has to be seen as a manifestation of a rage that extends beyond like the MAGA hat wearing troglodytes. Uh, this is a situation where the state has been in lockdown for in some form or another for a year. Small businesses are hurting. And I also think everyone is furious and not just. The, you know in california i think everyone in the country is furious at this experience that we've all had and i think it's hard to see how a lot of the people who were incumbents in positions particularly of executive power aren't going to face some wave of that rage and i think this happens to be the california the crazy californian version of it. Does it mean he'll be he'll lose the recall? Probably not, but it seems possible.
4: That's a really good point cuz there are who just want somebody to blame. And yeah. The French laundry incident put a big target on Gavin's back.
6: I think it was just beyond the US though. That French laundry incident that was early on when Gavin was being seen as not just sort of a hero of the left, but a potential presidential candidate at some point. And that was such a sore point for so many to see such blatant hypocrisy that, you know, I think he lost any kind of aspirations for being a bigger leader within the Democratic Party. And I I agree to the point that You know, many of the people who were through the early parts of COVID and who messed up are going to pay for it or people who showed hypocrisy or who hid things like where the allegations against Cuomo. It's almost as though Joe Biden's timing is kind of perfect. He's coming in on the back end. He's bringing the relief. He's going to be the one overseeing the vaccinations come in. And I think the timing of the elections within this pandemic is really going to shift the, the electoral landscape across all the countries that have been hit by this
5: Uh, One of the kind of paradigm shifts in American politics happened in in 1980, and it was kind of characterized by uh, Orange County Republicans. There was a sense that this was a different type of Republican. What type of Republican Party, which could potentially unseat the governor, but then could they use that as a springboard for further national politics? Because this isn't because Californian uh, Republicans aren't Trumpites. They're not MAGA hat wearing. They are kind of slightly older. It's to do, to do with money, et cetera. Uh, could you speak to this for us, Gerard, before, before we move on? What type of Republican Party do we actually have in California?
1: I, I mean, we've got a lot of the uh, MAGA hat. Republicans if you go to Huntington Beach it's maga city um if i were running someone against newsom in a recall election i would find a socially liberal fiscally conservative republican who didn't seem like an abomination of nature which is a that's a tough call um but I, if I were that person, I would write specifically to the issues of California. They're, you know, homelessness has not brought out the best in the citizenry of the state. If you look at there's this app called Citizen where you just get police updates. If you look at it for Los Angeles, the things that are pe- people are commenting on these incidents reflects some kind of real sense that life has deteriorated in this state. If someone were running on that issue, on the issue of helping small businesses, I, I could see it happen. You know, I, I for a very long time, I have thought that the issue of homelessness, which is a profound disgrace to this state, one of the most profound disgraces in American life, could also be used for demagoguery and a GOP return
5: it has to be said, um, me coming first to California some seven years ago now, the thing which utterly shocked me and has never lost its power to shock is the amount of tents that I see in the Bay Area. Um, I remember one one visit. Uh One time I returned back here uh within thirty minutes, I saw not one, not two, but three pairs of buttocks uh in the middle of San Francisco. Two guys were were defecating in the street on a Sunday afternoon at three o'clock and walked out of their tents to do so um, It is an utter shame of this great state uh, the level of homelessness and the amount of tents you see in in Oakland and San Francisco just just beggar belief Marseille, Doug kind of hinted that uh, this move against Newsom was kind of almost going to happen just because. Is that the case? Is this really the Republican Party instinctively, reflexively being anti-California because California for them symbolises all things which are wrong with liberalism? Uh, Did Newsom always have a target on his back, regardless of going to French laundry and eating without a mask on?
12: oh i could talk about this for a while but i'll keep it short um i've, I've only been living in la for six years but um i, I grew up in texas so newsom has always had a uh, a target on his back from the republican party and, and one of the reasons why i mean i i wanted to move here is because uh, of um, the politics here um i've lived under uh governor george bush and uh and watch him ascend to the presidency and you know now we have um the current governor in Texas, it's kind of also made a mess, but, um, you know, he, he does symbolize, uh, everything that's wrong to them, especially the, um, the really, the old school, I think, you know, conservative ideals of everything that's wrong. Um, and, and I think that's reflected in the amount of people that are leaving Los Angeles. Uh, they want, you know, they are just adamant about, uh, that he's, you know, he has too much overreach. So um, oh, okay. I hope that changes. I, i'm I'm terrified to have a Republican governor, but I, I feel like I've been through it before. I guess that's a that's my that's my take.
1: Yeah, I would just say that there is a thing about the French laundry photo, mm-hmm. which really hurts news beyond sort of a projection of hypocrisy. I think it plays into a perception, somewhat right, somewhat wrong, that Newsom is this child of incredible privilege. Uh, I don't know if that is an escapable thing, right? Like these narratives always have to build on previous knowledge of the, the public figure. The French laundry thing is like catastrophic because it ties into all of the suspicions about Newsom that were there before in a moment where having the kind of privilege that he seems to embody has become a political detriment across practically the whole spectrum. And that's the last word on that for me.
4: I'm going to chime in with one more piece. Mm -hmm. The, The French Laundry incident would have been survivable if he had responded to it better. Unfortunately, his immediate public comments about that photo and what he was doing there were not credible. And that's where I think he probably lost some allies on the left as well as the right.
5: I've said that this is going to be, uh, you know, the last word on this about two times i'm gonna say it for a third time now chris uh, you've joined us uh you're new to clubhouse and uh, you're an an alumni of of mid-atlantic of, of some vintage but we haven't you haven't darkened our our little area of the internet for the last three years or so uh you guffawed you you laughed sorry not not guffawing that's pejorative you laughed along uh why don't you um, give us your thoughts and feelings on gavin newsom or maybe even andrew cuomo
0: well, thank you, Roy. It's, hey, it's it's good to be back at Mid Atlantic. Um, you know, I I guess the what I what I really think about most strongly uh, on this issue, and just listening to the conversation, is I guess it's true for all political leaders. There's sort of there there's what we pay attention to, and and there's the job that they're doing. You know, there's kind of the. How are they as a politician and how are they as whatever they've been elected to do of a major American state? I don't have a lot of a sense of what it's like to live in California. Here I am. Here I am in London. You know, I I can't help but think strongly. A year ago this time, gosh, March 2020, I was, uh, because I've lived in China for several years, I was uh, moving PPE uh, around the world. Um, from China to uh, my native Canada, to the U.S., to here in the U.K. And uh, I've got to say that, you know, Gavin Newsom's team, and I worked directly with his team uh, that was doing PPE procurement, they were some of the best people that I worked with in what was uh, just an incredibly difficult time for governments and bureaucracies to get anything done. And and the work that... Um, that that team did to to move heaven and earth uh, to get you know what at the time was you know <laughs> the scarcest stuff on the planet uh, into california was uh, you know just above and beyond what what Cuomo's team was doing in new york what uh, the canadians were doing in ottawa you know, in fact, in in some ways they were so good at it that they were starting to take on the the needs of other states, and and you know, in the absence of, of real national leadership on, on the procurement thing, um, you know, they started buying on behalf of other states and and looking, you know, with some of their big tech con- uh, partners in the state, like how can we sort of create our own. Uh, supply chains to sort of import it here and then spread it through through the country and they were really innovating on that
5: it it is interesting that um at the start of the pandemic uh canada uh the canadian response was lauded as i said earlier on uh the uk was derided ditto the us and there's been some level i don't know completely over, overplay this but there's been some level of reversal with that um, the UK has terrible figures when it comes to COVID ditto the US but in terms of vaccinations the two western countries who, who handled this initially the worst are at least vaccinating uh, their citizens at a rate that um, is ma- it, it literally is, is mind-boggling compared to other comparable countries uh james um you held your hand up and said that you wanted to have your have your have your saying that's the whole reason why we've moved the podcast actually onto clubhouse so we can have more diverse voices so uh chime away sir unmute
13: yourself um thanks for having me um what an amazing room i've just been sitting here listening i haven't had this much education in however long it is since you started um so uh royfield really thank thanks thanks for allowing um allowing me in i've worked on political campaigns just to tell you who i am and i've just made a documentary about how on earth donald trump managed to win the 2016 election the point about the french laundry is when you work on a campaign i mean there are just things you tell your candidate never to do and frankly you shouldn't be at the french laundry which for anyone in the uk that doesn't know the comparison it's the equivalent of the fat duck it's insanely expensive i've never been but it's uh it's a, it's Thomas Keller's restaurant. It's a landmark thing, and to to all the to the point that the, the others were making, um, just on the optics of it to use a, a a buzzword of campaigning, stepping through the door away from a pandemic is a, a fatal move. It is just just emblematic of everything that you might want to think is wrong about privilege, being out of touch, etc. But to then do it in a cam, uh, in a pandemic, and to do it in a world where everyone. Is basically a journalist because they're holding a smartphone. F- is so beyond uh, my comprehension of uh, anyone acting sensibly. Um, so that's that's all my point is on this one. I I I uh, I'm just going to continue listening. But I thought it was uh, incredibly foolish. Just on the point about uh,
11: appearances, uh, Newsom is uh, is declining to get the the vaccine uh, just to be seen as uh, a normal guy waiting in line. So maybe he learned his lesson. Um, but maybe it's too little too late.
13: Kind of ironic in a way, because actually the one thing I don't have a problem with is the person that's in charge of the whole state or a nation or whatever it is ought to be the person who's vaccinated, ought to be the person who's actually going to be able to complete doing the job because getting COVID and then being laid low for however long it would be, as we saw with Boris Johnson in the UK, is is also useless in my opinion.
6: To the problem with Gavin Newsom wasn't just that he was seen to be a hypocrite and he was seen to be incredibly privileged in that photograph and all the rest of it at the French laundry, but it opened up a bigger exploration into him. And I remember it was at that time that I really started to understand his, his connection to the Trumps, uh, you know, what was what had happened in his personal life. And, and when you are not able to Doug's point to immediately say, What I did was wrong. There is no excuse for it. I'm not going to try to explain it or ask you to forget it. I'll learn my lesson and I will never do anything like that again. When you don't come out like that after something, an image like that, it does become fatal and it does open you up to a lot more. And once those floodgates open for Gavin Newsom, I don't think he ever gets to close them. Uh,
5: Great point. And a great point. Well made. Uh, This is Mid-Atlantic. We have our own uh, club On on the app. So if you are maybe Letty, Gaia, Rob, Adrian, Matt, or I totally agree, uh, what you should do is uh, join um, our club so you'll get notifications of whenever we go live. Now, if you are in the room and you have uh, strong thoughts and feelings about uh, Andrew Cuomo, Gavin Newsom, or maybe about the UK's new policing bill, this is the time. Uh, for you to unburden yourself with this viewpoint, raise your hand and and throw it at the team. Ian, over to you, sir.
3: I'm a, I'm a friend of uh, Chris Katarna. He's the one who invited me into this uh, select group uh, and I've been enjoying the conversation uh, to date. And I wanted to kind of try to bridge the conversation between uh, Cuomo and Newsom because uh, like James, I used to, for my sins, uh, used to work in politics in Washington, DC. And one of the things that I learned there was that these uh, political crises usually emerge when something happens that that confirms an existing narrative that the public has about someone. And I think in, in the Cuomo case, as well as the Newsom case, we're presented with a situation where a lot of people felt that Newsom was a person of privilege. A lot of people felt that Cuomo's manner was brusque and uh, bullying. And the current uh, you know, kind of imbroglios that they find themselves in are so devastating, not just because of the optics in the case of Newsom, not just because of Me Too in the case of Cuomo, but because they conser- they, c- they confirm an existing narrative about both these individuals that we were all kind of waiting to have evidence of. And there's a there's a lesson there, which is that, you know, obviously politicians should take much more care in their optics, but they should be particularly mindful of these blind spots where there is an underlying narrative that is about that is kind of circling around them. And if you'll recall back to 2016, when James referred to that fascinating documentary, I'd love to see about uh, Trump and how he got elected. Um, the, the narrative around Hillary Clinton was that she was a person who traded favors, that she she and the Clinton Foundation were doing all sorts of uh, dastardly things offline and, and outside of the view of the public. And then, of course, there was those 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 emails and the Goldman Sachs uh, speeches that seemed to confirm all these worst impressions of us. So I'd love to throw that out into the room, which is, you know, to what extent is this, you know, kind of comeuppance for these two politicians, but it also could it be that, uh, you know, we all suspected that these were kind of characters flaws in these two individuals and that they're just you know the chickens are coming home to roost to use a, another political uh, you know phrase
5: i think that's a stunning point because the the right-wing american media has been jumping up and down with glee specifically uh with uh, andrew cuomo and they've actually said uh we told you that he that his COVID response um, wasn't as great as 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 all you liberals have actually said that he was actually massaging the figures. We 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 told you that this man uh, was not the upright standing politician that everybody said that he wasn't the savior of, of New York. Uh, so I, I think you you make uh, make a st- stunning point there, Ian. Go
13: Can on. I just make one final
5: point? Go on, James.
13: Yeah, just on this on this very interesting thing about Tuan's to, to point about people living, you know, being seen to live the good life. I mean, the irony about all of this was that in 2015, 2016, uh, Hillary Clinton got a lot of flack for, you know, being shielded by layers of Secret Service protection and all that good stuff. But actually, hilariously, Donald Trump flew around the nation in a plane with his name on the side. He did everything a UK politician would never dare do. He lived the highlight when he had dinner with Mitt Romney. It was in some Michelin three-star restaurant in New York, sort of the equivalent of the French Laundry, and no one cared less. There's a thing about, I mean, in other words, and there's lots to say about Donald Trump, but actually, he sort of owned this ludicrous billionaire role that he was playing. And people that never mentioned, oh my God, this guy lives in a tower with his name on it, flies around in helicopters with his name on it. Never seen. But, but the but but, but
5: but the difference is though, James. Um, he always said as much didn't he that uh, as i kind that's of my point that's yeah my, yeah exactly that's my point yeah. if you're
13: authentic quote unquote i use that word very 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 uh ca- i'm very cagey that word with trump but if you own it and you're authentic people can actually handle it but if you're pretending to be a person of the people and then you're spotted in the french Laundry, you've got a massive problem on your hands so it's all about how you present yourself and and the sort of you know again like honesty is a very very tricky word with trump but if you actually own it on that occasion you got away with it and no one ever mentioned it I've, no one ever mentioned sort of brash uh, display of wealth.
5: Spot on. Now, um, in breaking with with slight tradition, I'm going to quickly go around the room and uh, and ask everybody because uh, we just want to slightly lighten the mood and and ask them um, what they have either read, watched on TV, or what they're looking forward to in the next week. Right, I will go first uh, as as a fan of the superhero genre, grew up with it. I am beside myself with excitement because this weekend, we not only have the Snyder Cut, but we have Falcon and Winter Soldier. I will have five hours of just blissing out with people with capes in spandex, uh, punching bad guys on the jaw. Cannot wait. Gerard Kobeck over there in Los Angeles. What are you looking forward to this weekend?
1: Uh, (laughs) I'm looking forward to you triumphing that bliss and finding some way to to shiver.
5: Perfect, right. Well, uh, th- if that's what you're looking forward to, I'd say your life is a little bit bereft of, uh, of too many <laughs> things. But if you're going to take vicarious pleasure from me, far be it from me, yeah. from, from me not to let you to do that. Uh, Doug Levy.
4: I think this weekend may be my first
8: barbecue of the year.
5: That's something definitely to look forward to. Steve of course, O'Neill. nobody will
4: be
8: there because it's social distancing.
5: Steve O'Neill.
8: I am also a secret superhero fan, but I'm desperately trying to work out how on earth I get to watch the Snyder Cut in the UK. But we can't get HBO. I think it might be on Now TV, so I'm scrambling to get uh, access to that. Steve,
5: Steve, listen, friend to friend. If you need a dodgy link, I can provide it for you. So
10: don't worry. Eric Marcus. I am looking forward to finishing my binging on a BBC uh, World Service podcast called Goodbye to All This. It's a brilliant podcast. Uh, by a woman who, it's not, not the most cheerful thing, it's about the death of her husband and raising her two young girls. And it's just, it's breathtakingly wonderful and now it's produced and very moving and heartfelt. Laura Babcock.
6: Well, now I've got my Saturday night movie pick with the kids because we're all superhero fans like you are, but I'm also looking forward to finishing binge watching The Crown. I got really bored in the first few seasons, but after the Harry and Meghan interview, I've gotten back into it. It's getting a little bit better. Mick Wright uh i'm
9: knee deep in, in investigating uh QAnon infiltration of a cult slash commune that's become um massively um an obsession for TikTokers. so that's what i'm enjoying
5: and, and you're enjoying doing that because this was supposed to lift us all mick but if it you
9: me man okay. it's, it's, that's it's fine you know i'm like deep I'm, I'm deep in the deep in the hole with a, a piece of journalistic endeavor also, I'm trying to beat Vice to the punch, so that's always
5: fun. Listen, my brother, as long as it's making you happy, I'm happy for you. Clint Losey.
11: Uh, this one is specifically for all the folks in D.C. Um, it was my favourite thing last week, and and it's going to be my favourite thing this weekend, is uh, the Rose Ave Bakery in downtown D.C. It opened at the beginning of the pandemic um it's run by uh, a woman uh, called named uh, rose nagayan um and so it's fairly new but it's it's really good um and i can't believe that i had been missing out of it for most of the pandemic um it, it is really good and i'm gonna go stuff myself there uh, for the second weekend in a row marseille uh
12: i am really excited to watch the tina turner documentary on hbo Um, I've read a couple of articles about it and it sounds like she's saying about her fans, but I'm really uh, excited to watch it.
5: Oh, you you put something on my watch list now. Uh, Chris K.
0: I've been uh, introducing my girlfriend to Lost, which she missed when it was uh, a big thing 15 years ago. Uh, So we're just at about the point where they keep having to push a button inside the hatch and uh, bringing back some good memories
5: the two people who we invited up on stage we're going to invite you to join in this as well so james you go for it sir
13: i've just been given a book um called lucky which uh is how joe biden barely won the presidency written by jonathan allen's uh, jonathan allen and, and amy pons who wrote the shattered book about the hillary clinton election so i'm going to be reading that last but not least i am
3: Two quick uh, recommendations. One, possibly the best book of 2021, uh, now and and forever, Uh, a book called Chatter by Ethan Cross, which is all about the conversations we have with ourselves and how we can manage those. And two, for those of you, very few, who are on Apple TV Plus, For All Mankind, another counterfactual series. I like that show. uh, Yeah, Man in the High Castle. It's actually stunningly good considering it's gotten no buzz so you know if you're looking for something and you've already plowed through your ted lasso phase uh, jump onto for for all mankind it's really good
5: i loved season one of that loved season one and the whole kind of counterfactual the russians get get to the moon first uh good listener Uh, we're giving you uh, treat upon treat here at Mid-Atlantic on Monday you will have you will have uh, for your delectation and for your listening pleasure my interview with author Michael Pembroke where we discuss his latest book uh, which looks at the economic and moral decline so he states of America since 1945 that will be with you on Monday next Thursday we'll be back here on Clubhouse we will be recording again with our team you'll probably have Doug Most probably Steve. We'd love a bit of Eric. We'll have some Laura, Mick, Clint, Marseille, and maybe Chris. I don't know. Maybe he's got some big speaking engagement and he won't be able to make it. But it'd be really nice to have Chris with us. And of course, on Zoom, we'll have Jared Kobeck because he doesn't believe in iPhones. He's somewhat of a Luddite and he believes that... Apple are spying on him, so we will not buy an iPhone. But we sneak him on through the magic of technology on Zoom. This has been us. This has been Mid-Atlantic. Don't forget, folks, left of center politics is right politics. Don't ever forget that. Take care. Look after yourself. Be safe. Bye-bye. See you next week. And don't forget, join us on Clubhouse. If you are listening to the podcast, join our club. Bye-bye.